Just a warning, you're going to hear the F word a lot in this episode. I'm Mila. Um, I'm 12, and I play drums in the band. I'm Bella. Um, I'm 18, and I play guitar in the band. I'm Lucia. Um, I'm 15, and I also play guitar. I'm Eloise, and I play bass. Uh, I'm 14, yes. (laughs) We all sing. Yes, we all sing. There's one band that came up over and over again during our interviews for this podcast. The Linda Lindas. 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 People really light up when they talk about the Linda Lindas. There's something really authentic about their approach to music. You can feel it comes from their heart, not something they overthink or want to show off. Bikini Kill drummer Toby Vale had high praise for this all-femme band. They're very, um, almost intimidatingly fierce. The Linda Lindas first started playing together in 2018. The following year, they opened for Bikini Kill and played a set of cover songs for a crowd of thousands of people at the Hollywood Palladium. Remember, they are teenagers, and at the time, three of them were preteens. In 2021, they debuted a new original song in a performance at the Los Angeles Public Library. The song was a response to a racist incident recounted by the youngest band member, Mila de la Garza. A little while before we went into lockdown, a boy in my class came up to me and said that his dad told him to stay away from Chinese people. After I told him that I was Chinese, he backed away from me. Eloise and I wrote the song based on that experience. So this is about him and all the other racist, sexist boys in this world. viral. It racked up millions of views and landed the band invites on late night TV and a record deal with the LA punk label Epitaph Records. Countless magazine articles, tweets, and TV talk shows have pointed to the Linda Lindas as a band that is carrying on the Riot Girl legacy. But how do they feel about that? It's very, very flattering and it's awesome, but also it's like, you know, we want to make sure we're doing could buy it, you know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, like Bella said, it's awesome that people have said that. But it is, like, I feel like there's pressure there to, like, make sure live like up to, like... The legacy or yeah. whatever, you know? Yeah. But, I mean, at the end of the day, our band is just, like, whatever we feel like doing. And it's about having fun. And as long as we're, like, having fun with what we do and we feel like what we're doing matters, then... I guess we'll just keep going, you know? Like, we're not trying to be Riot Girl or be one particular thing, you know? We just want to be a band that has fun and makes music and, like, makes something that feels important to us. 30 years later, the label Riot Girl feels fraught in some ways. Technically, the movement ended in the mid to late 90s, when some of the original bands broke up and Riot Girl chapters started to dissolve. But I think it's fair to say that it never really ended. 
Riot Girl was so much more than music and zines. It's an attitude, a feeling, a set of political beliefs. And it left an undeniable stamp on our culture that's still very evident today. But some of the most successful bands inspired by Riot Girl have tried to separate themselves from the movement. I'm Fabi Reina, founder of She Shreds Media, and this is Starting a Riot. Corin Tucker has a very specific memory from a show Heavens to Betsy played in the early 90s at a gallery in Bellingham, Washington. It's not so much from the show itself, but what happened after the band got off stage. We played our show, and I literally was like arguing with like six guys afterwards. They're like, you're really sexist because you're, you know, you're saying all this stuff about men and you're putting women above men. And, and you know, it was like met with a lot of arguments. After arguing with all those guys, Tucker was approached by a young woman named Carrie Brownstein. Carrie walked up to me and she was like, um, hello, I would like some more information about Riot Girl." And I was like, okay, um, yeah, you give me your address. And I, I took down her address in my lyric book and never wrote her back. But we had this conversation where she was like, yeah, I'm going to Western and I'm, I'm, I'm going to drop out because I, I, I can't stand it. I want to move to Olympia. And I was like, you should move to Olympia. You absolutely should do it. And she did. Brownstein quickly became part of the Riot Girl scene in Olympia. She formed a band with some friends called Excuse 17, and she and Tucker became fast friends as well. Yeah, we started hanging out in Olympia, and our bands would like play together and go on tour together. And I just was like, she is a smoking guitar player. Mm. She was really different. And I was like, hmm, I wonder if we could play together, you know? And we did, and it was, I just got this like zzzt. It was this really, two really different players playing together. And I was like, this is, this is cool. Let's record this. Let's make a song. Mm -hmm. And it just started happening. It wasn't long before Tucker and Brownstein left the Riot Girl bands to start one of their own. They named their new band after a freeway exit for a road in nearby Lacey, Washington, Slater Kinney. There's a song from our first record called Be Your Mama. Mm where Carrie is playing this riff that's like, na 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 And I literally remember, I heard her, I was like in the other room, I heard her playing that riff and I was like, keep playing that. And I started, you know, she was like, na 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 And I joined in on guitar. I just brought those bar chords in. And I was suddenly like, just suddenly was like a rock song, you know, and, and, Like, it was literally that moment where I felt like we were, like, greater than the sum of who we are, like, with writers. Like, because of, like, the different abilities that we had, we were able to make this song that was, like, Mm. big and, like, sounded like a a rock song. You can hear the bikini kill on that song. Slater Kinney's first two albums were released by Chainsaw, the Olympia label started by musician Donna Dresch. They've gone on to put out several more albums, becoming one of the most influential rock bands in the country. One thing Slater Kinney has always been super clear about is that they are not a Riot Girl band. It was much more complicated at that point, right? Because Riot Girl had become this scourge in the press of like these snotty, you know, entitled or... It was just ridiculed to 
such a degree in the press mm. that's like, you know, our band wanted to do something different. You know, we just wanted to have this different identity, you know, and I would still talk about Riot Girls sometimes and because everyone knew that I was part of that movement. But the band itself was like, no, we're not. That's not us because we wanted a little bit of space from that. Feminist punks had never really been keen on media interviews. The D.C. Riot Girl chapter called for a media blackout sometime in the mid-90s, and other Riot Girls followed suit. This was after numerous articles came out depicting the movement as a fashion trend or a musical style, punkettes, or the girl version of grunge rock. Grunge itself was a marketing term that many bands, including Nirvana, loathed. The thing that pushed many people involved with Riot Girl to completely reject media attention seemed to be a 1992 Spin Magazine article. It ran alongside a rail-thin model with the word bitch written on her forehead. The subheadline read, Revolution is in the air, and yes, it smells like teen spirit. Yes, everyone was talking about Riot Girl, but like no one was actually starting a riot. Toby Vale was disappointed with the way Riot Girl was being co-opted and diminished. The term right girl became so loaded that like every time a girl in the band or like a woman in a band would get interviewed, it'd be like under that framework. And then they'd spend the whole time going like, I'm not a riot girl. I'm not that, you know? And so it almost became like a burden, right? It was like, that's the last thing you want it to be. Also, it's just boring to be asked about your gender over and over again. Riot girl became a kind of shorthand for a certain type of woman musician. If you were a woman playing punk or even a woman playing guitar, you were defined in the media as a riot girl. Now it's almost as though women musician is treated as a music genre. For me as an artist and in my work with She Shreds, I want to evolve that dialogue while still holding a space that feels safe for women and non-binary musicians. If we're going to talk about gender in music, we need to talk about how people are getting paid how they're being treated by sound guys and venue staff, and whether or not they're being represented behind the scenes as well as on stage. Coming up after a break, I'll introduce you to a band that's holding these conversations, claiming space for women, gender-expansive people, and Black folks in particular. If you're listening to this podcast, you're going to want to listen to the new album from Black Bolt Eagle Scout. It's called The Land, The Water, The Sky. Multi-instrumentalist Catherine Paul blends Pacific Northwest musical influences with her indigenous roots on the Salish Sea, and the result is something truly unique and beautiful. Find the album and tour dates at blackbelteaglescout.com. Many people will say punk is dead. Punk as a format used to disturb and challenge social norms has become watered down in its mainstream iteration. But if there's one band that I think is bringing punk back to life, while utilizing the best of Riot Girl's blueprint, it's Fuck You, Pay Us. Hi, my name is Jasmine Ende. I'm a vocalist for the band Fuck You, Pay Us, and also a textile fiber artist and writer. Fuck You, Pay Us is a Black, queer punk band focused on reparations. Fuck you, pay us for the wage gap. Fuck you, pay us for this country that continues to profit and economically loot people every day. Fuck you, pay us sex workers. Fuck you, pay survivors. It's all about this way of demanding what we need in this world and also doing it from a place of radiant rage and coming together and respecting each other in the space. 
I first met Jasmine and the rest of the band in 2018, when She Shreds partnered with our friends in the creative agency Jupe Jupe to book them for an epic all-day event during that year's Women's March. My good friend Fran was obsessed with them, and as soon as I saw the way they created and guided energy in the space, I understood exactly why. I think that Punky Payas is about what punk music can mean for liberation for everybody, not just for select groups. And yeah, Femmes to the Front is what I think really represents Punky Payas. It's like about bringing us into the space and then also honoring us and the experiences that we have that are unique and inherently punk. Hearing Jasmine say Femmes to the Front and thinking about it as an evolution of Girls to the Front really resonated with me. Femmes holds such a broader, wider range of identities, and it just feels so much more inclusive. Even if I do lean more masculine, I can identify with femmes so much more than girl. I think that board up is one of my favorites because it just brings out this like I don't know, this is almost like lurking quality. It's all about like this rumbling that kind of like happens, you know, like as you start to wake up to like the injustice in this world, like first, like the lights start to come on and then doors start to open in your mind. And then it's like, okay, wait, I got to go destroy some shit. And then it's just time to tear down the White House. The band's first show was a fuck the election party in 2016. They're now a four-piece, but at the time, it was only Jasmine Nyende, an underground hip-hop artist Uhuru Moore. They had been practicing and working on songs together for a few months before the Election Day show. I feel like the, the name came first, and then we just devised this way to live up to it. It definitely started in this way where in our like brand practices would be me, Uhuru, our instruments, our ancestors, our pain, our trauma, our joy, our jokes. Um, maybe some beer. And for me as a vocalist, I had to like create these new ways of even like knowing how to take care of my voice and honor my voice and sing these songs that aren't maybe instinctual to um, maybe what you would think as punk music, but then were instinctual to me and my body and the way I wanted to express the power mm-hmm. behind our music and behind what fuck you pay us feels like. Jasmine was born in LA in the 90s. When she was in high school, she discovered riot girl bands. And when she was deciding where to go to college, she felt very drawn to the Pacific Northwest because of its connection to punk and the riot girl movement. I mean, I was in Compton, you know, like it's it's interesting to think about how that culture even influenced me and met me where I was, you know, and inspired me to feel like I could go, you know, go to Portland for college or whatever. But I would say that like what riot girl really represents is this way that you don't ever have to be afraid of the music that you can make and or be afraid to change it up, switch it up and like find new avenues of expression. When Bikini Kill reunited in 2019, they played four shows at the Hollywood Palladium. The Linda Lindas were an opening act for one of those shows. And at another one, Fuck You Pay Us opened. That show really inspired a lot of people and definitely just kind of like showed me the scale of how strong this message could feel and be for other people. And I, I deeply appreciate that we did that show and like that space. And that was one of the biggest crowds that the band has performed in front of. And I think that it was like a really great experience in that way. But it was unfortunate that like 
the space itself didn't honor us. Like the Palladium itself didn't respect us. And there was like some trouble backstage, but I at least appreciate that we got the chance to like do a show like that. It will always be an amazing life experience to open for Bikini Co. I wanted to ask Jasmine about the experience that she and her bandmates had at that show. Not to single anyone out, but because I think it gets at a bigger truth. Diversifying any space requires cultural shifts. The truth about the music industry and its venues, labels, institutions, and other workplaces is that they were created by white men to uplift white men. You can't just invite BIPOC folks into a space that's been dominated by white people without thinking through equity and inclusion in an intentional way. Unfortunately, most of these spaces hardly even have any women on staff. They wouldn't let our bandmate back backstage. And of course, when you're performing, you don't have your badge. So they let me backstage because, of course, I was up front, but they didn't let a crew backstage. So that was just the first of the offenses. After that, of course, my bandmate needed to go smoke and stuff. When Uhuru came back inside, it happened again. Another security guard, I will say, not the same security guard, but a different one just refusing to imagine or conceptualize that that person would be on stage in a band, thinking maybe they were just trying to sneak back. And then we had to unload everything ourselves out after the show. And when I tried to go back inside to go use the bathroom, they wouldn't let me go use the bathroom after all that happened. Like we had just loaded all of our drums, all of our guitars, all that stuff. We had, I went to go literally pee so we can go. They wouldn't let me back in. I pissed outside. They threatened to call the police on me. So that's the long story short of what happened at the Palladium. To be perfectly honest, I played that same venue in 2022 and remember being able to walk in and out of the backstage door without being asked to show my badge. But again, I'm not Black. And that difference in experience should really speak to the specific anti-Black mentality in music spaces, especially outside of the hip-hop, jazz, and R&B genres. In general, and especially with soundmen, Venue culture in the music industry is aggressive and disrespectful to women, trans, and non-binary people. One time, a bandmate of mine was asked by the sound guy, and they are almost always guys, to hold the mic like she was holding a dick. And that's just one of the many insane stories. You end up really having to rely on your bandmates and the people you're playing with for support. Jasmine said that Bikini Kill's reaction to what happened was underwhelming. They didn't really do much at all. They didn't even if she really, really, as an apology, they just like, oh, I'm sorry, that really sucks. But again, I don't really hold no hard feelings because this was years ago. A whole pandemic has happened. I got much more emotion in me, but um, it, it did suck. <laughs> Bikini Kill drummer Toby Vale said her memory of what happened at the Palladium was a little fuzzy, but she did check in with her bandmates about it before our interview. I think what happened is that they were having clashes with security all night and decided to leave while we were playing. So all the stuff that happened is stuff that we didn't witness, which made it a little bit confusing at the time. Vale said that Bikini Kill's tour manager filled in some of the details. She also said that lead singer Kathleen Hanna reached out directly to try to get more information from Fuck You Pay Us, but didn't hear back from them. Vail said that Bikini Kill did speak to the staff at the Hollywood Palladium. She remembers that they directly addressed the Palladium's threat to get the police involved and told them... They can't do that. Like, they can't... It's completely unacceptable to put anyone in danger and threaten, you know, the threat of, like, police brutality 
you know, Kathleen remembers them agreeing that the security like agreed not to call 911. I don't remember that happening. I remember it being a topic of discussion, but it is something that we ask now in our security meetings that we do ask venues not to call or threaten to call 911 on people. Obviously, more than three years later, the details are a little murky. Bavel said that she and the rest of the band appreciated the opportunity to talk about it. What I really want to say is that, like, we really appreciated them playing a show with us. And we're really upset to hear they had a bad experience with the Hollywood Palladium security staff. We immediately went to the club, spoke with them about it. And, you know, obviously we want everyone to feel welcome at our shows. And obviously, like, racism and transphobia is not okay with us. Like, we will not tolerate it and we'll do everything in our power to make sure that doesn't happen. This situation is not unique to Bikini Kill and Fuck You Pay Us. I asked Jasmine Inyende what she would want other touring musicians to take away from her experience. Her solution seems pretty simple. Say if I'm Bikini Kill, I spend maybe $200 out of my cut to make sure I hire a person of color whose job in their role is to make sure that everything is running smoothly for the bands who are opening for me, also for me, someone that I call. Because when that was happening to me, I'm over here DMing Kathleen Hanna. Because the security guard won't let us inside? Like, what? No. There has to be like someone who's there who can kind of serve as that buffer. Making space for people of color requires white people to think about things from other perspectives. That's as true for music as it is for universities or government agencies or community spaces. And just like Riot Girl bands demanded space for women in music venues and other spaces that had long been dominated by men, bands like Fuck You Pay Us are standing up for themselves in the music industry and beyond. When I think of some of our concept songs, like Burn Yo Patriarchy, like that song was actually inspired by a, a spell that was very like, instrumental to helping the Haitian revolution. It's like burn you white male patriarchy, burn you white male patriarchy. It was a part of a spell that helped bring a nation to freedom. You can feel that story in the way that we sang it, in the way that we expressed it, in the way that the guitar would drone. It would feel like that song. And we'd always go in there never knowing how long it's going to be, how short it's going to be. It's all about the energy that is cultivated and shared that kind of lets us know when the song ends or like how much to bring to it. Seeing Fuck You Pay Us Live brings out something deeply internal and intuitive from within me. The thing that I think surprises people the most is how, like, joyous the shows actually are. Like, we be having fun up there. Like, we be having a blast. And I think that that energy of, like, wow, we're talking about really intense shit. We're, we're really working through some intense trauma collectively. So people can, like, they can feel the scale, but they can also feel the spirit. And, you know, like, people really can, can vibe with it. People you would never expect. We'll be blasting some fuck you pay us when the album comes out. The band is working on their first studio album. Fuck you! Pay us! After a quick break, what do Miley Cyrus and Lizzo have to do with Riot Girl? In 
In 2021, Miley Cyrus covered Bikini Kill's most iconic song, Rebel Girl, during her Super Bowl halftime show. Toby Vale loves how much people still love that song. It's a great pop song. It just sort of appeared. <laughs> That's the way. It's like magic, you know? And it, obviously, it resonates with people. Riot Girl is not yet dead. Actually, sometimes it feels like the opposite. People are still finding out about it and getting inspired by the sounds and ethos that came out of that movement. I think we need to focus on, like, what are the goals? How can we come together in this political historical moment, which is so horrific, and move forward? And that's, like, one of the questions that we're constantly thinking about and talking about as a band right now. And even if identifying with Riot Girl became complicated or uncool at some point in the late 90s, historian Sarah Marcus says the movement managed to change the way a lot of people thought about feminism. What I think is awesome is the way that Riot Girl made it okay to fly a specifically feminist flag. Riot Girl, I think, pushed to make it not uncool to just go all the way there and talk about feminism. And, you know, and so from Lizzo to like other pop stars, like claiming feminism, like I do see um, reverberations of Riot Girl, like in that in particular. Feminist still feels like a loaded term to a lot of people. And I put myself in that category. I remember in 2014, Time magazine included feminist as part of a poll on words to ban. People lost their minds in opposition to that, of course. But to me, the word feminism actually does feel a little bit outdated. It's not inclusive of intersectional concepts and identities such as trans rights, indigenous and black sovereignty movements, or the health and care of the earth. In my opinion, these should all be feminist issues. But unfortunately, when I hear people use the word feminism, I don't think they're thinking about those things. Beyond specific labels... Music has definitely expanded and become more inclusive over the past three decades. I think there's so many more doors that are open now for musicians, you know, thinking about what my kids are into and the music that they listen to. It's not that big a deal to see a female artist now, you know, who's like completely in control or a trans artist. Mm -hmm. um, I took my daughter and her friend to see Cave Town at Crystal Ballroom and it was off the hook. I'm a dunting boy. I eat sticks and rocks and mud. I don't care about the government. Cave Town is a trans singer-songwriter from England. He doesn't sound necessarily like a Riot Girl band, and that's not the point. The first time I saw Lizzo play, she was actually opening for Slater Kenny. Yes, that Lizzo. The one with her own reality show who plays to sold-out crowds at huge stadium-sized venues. Way back in 2015, when Slater Kinney reunited after a 10-year break, they brought Lizzo on tour as their opening act. The pop star's 2022 album special features a song called Girls, spelled with no I and three R's. The song references Lorena Bobbitt, the sexual assault survivor who made headlines in 1993 for cutting off her abusive husband's penis. Oh, oh, oh. I'm a 
scam, bro. Sadly, Lizzo declined to be interviewed for this podcast, so we don't really know how she feels about Riot Girl. But we do know that she's a proud feminist, and so are the Linda Lindas. Yes, we're, we're feminists. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> the Linda Lindas' first album, Growing Up, came out in 2022. The songs are catchy, clever, silly, and angry. I like why, the song why, because that's like one of those ones that like you can headbang to and then like and then like you could march around and like do just a bunch of stuff. It's just a very fun song to like be angry at. I don't know. I feel like I do better if I'm pissed off while playing that song. Mm, I know that. Yeah. Part of my excitement towards bands like the Linda Lindas is getting to see that political, emotional, and mental growth that even my generation just didn't have access to and definitely did not have support for. It's incredible to witness people, and especially women and trans folks of color, getting to be free in their expression and in their creativity earlier in life. When we were talking about the Linda Lindas' relationship to Riot Girl. Lucia de la Garza articulated something that I've always felt too. I think it's it's pretty powerful that there are all these women that created a movement that is still lasting today though. Like that's something that's really admirable about the Riot Girl movement is that even though its legacy is is mixed, like it really did. It opened so many doors for so many people and we would, we would definitely not be here today if not for that movement. One of the most fascinating and incredible things that this movement helped thousands of people do and continues to teach us about is the power of anger as an energy and the impact that acknowledging and recycling that anger through music can have on communities, the impact it can have on culture and the doors it can open for people to experience joy. Riot Girls taught themselves and anyone who was willing to listen a different way to be unafraid. They used community as fuel and music as a shield, building tools along the way that created a strong foundation not only for women to be strong and safe, but for the concept of belonging to continue to be accessible to everyone, even if you have to fight for it. 30 years later, while we're still fighting for the rights to our own bodies and the opportunity to exist beyond just surviving, understanding how to move through such an intense feeling like anger allows me to have a vision and take action. As a musician and as a person, I'm grateful for the tools I've accessed through the school of Riot Girl. Starting a Riot is brought to you by Oregon Public Broadcasting and She Shreds Media. Thanks to all the members who make podcasts possible at OPB. This podcast is hosted by me, Fabi Reina. Julie Sabatier produced this podcast, and I'm going to hand the first part of these credits over to her. The songs you heard in this episode were Racist, Sexist Boy and Why by the Linda Lindas and Rebel Girl by Bikini Kill. You heard the original and the Linda Lindas version. Thank you to the band members and to Terror Bird and Kill Rockstars for allowing us to use these songs. 
You can find a playlist on our website, opb.org slash starting a riot. You should also go out, buy the music, and support the artists. Our editor for this project is Sage Van Wing. Our theme music is composed by Ray Ags. Listen to their solo projects and their bands, Trash Kit, Shopping, and Sacred Paws. Our sound engineers are Nalene Silva and Stephen Cray, all mixing and mastering by Stephen Cray. Thanks to Ryan Haas, Anna Griffin, Donald Orr, and Prakruti Bot for their listening ears. Also, thanks to JT Griffith and the team at Liminal Music for their help with music rights. Thanks to Nathan Fossold and Black Book Guitars for providing amps for our interview with Corin Tucker, and to Polaris Hall for hosting that interview. And thank you to Jared Walker, who had the idea for this podcast in the first place. The other songs you heard in this episode were Be Your Mama by Slater Kinney, Board Up, Spiritual Warfare, and Burn Yield, White Male Patriarchy Burn by Fuck You Pay Us, Girls by Lizzo, and Boys Will Be Bugs by Cave Town. If you like our podcasts, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave a review. It helps people find us. 